Hey everybody and welcome to Retromania and Kicking Out at 2 presents Marking Out the Days. I'm part of the hosting squad, Kobe Nida, and as always, I'm joined here with... The retrosexual, or should I say one half of the retrosexuals, <laughs> Dave Rosenbluth. What's going on, man? What's up, man? Yeah, retrosexuals are uh, six sexuals right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Both fighting we're both, the, holiday, yeah. the holiday blues, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I went on a hunting uh, excursion and filming and everything, and I was out in the elements, and uh, yeah, I'm feeling it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't as sick as you, but I mean, uh, you know, I had a lot of running around to do for the holidays, my wife's birthday, trying to get back into the swing of things, so uh, it was a, uh, it, it was it was quite the busy last few weeks for, for, for me personally, but, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully I don't get too sick. Uh, yeah, because then you know I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to have fun with you and and and, and talk <laughs> the history of pro wrestling. I'll be knocked exactly. on my ass. So, yep, uh, you'll be taking the bump. Yeah, taking a back bump in the bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a softer landing, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, well, we're here with marking out the days. This is the new year, January tenth. This is the day, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, last week we started off the new year, January the 3rd. We talked about Jim Ross's birthday. We talked about some happenings on uh, old episodes of WWF Monday Night Raw and uh, WCW WCW Monday Nitro. And we got a little bit of that this week. We got some birthdays, some more birthdays in the house. Uh, We even got some ECW on the on the. On the docket today, so you know I can't wait to, uh, to 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 go back, if you will, to take what I'd like to call a pro wrestling field trip back down mm-hmm. memory lane. The the magic school bus of uh, wrestling podcasts, yes. right here. That, I like that. So, that's good. That's pretty good. That's so pretty good. we're gonna start using that one. We gotta start using that one. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you and I can decide on who wants to be Miss. Miss Frizzle or uh, and the lizard or chameleon, uh, so we can switch that off. Okay, we'll, we'll draw names out of the hat for that one. True, true. But the wheels on the bus go round and round, and here we are, January tenth. It's a it's another it's another edition of our show where we like to run down your favorite or not so favorite storylines, matches, events, and or feuds from your pro wrestling past. Yes. And uh, Dave, what's going on with your show kicking out at two right now? Right now, uh, this week, we have part one of the uh, of what I'd like to call Second Place is the First Loser, discussing runners-up in Royal Rumble history. This is the first part. Ooh. We're going to cover each runner-up from, we, or should I say, we've already covered, because the show is available over at SoundCloud.com right now. You can check that out, kicking out at two. Uh my buddy Chris Donovan joins me for part one as we discuss runners-up from 1988 all the way to 2003. So we start it and end it with One Man Gang and The Undertaker and everything else in between. And it's definitely going to be – it was definitely a lot of fun doing it. And hopefully all you guys out there really enjoy what's uh, what's to come on Kicking Out at 2. And then next week, January the 16th, over at SoundCloud.com, I have part two – 2004 to 2018, covering the runners-up in Royal Rumble history. Chris Donovan man. also joining me as well. Running in there deep, man. That's a lot. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's awesome. It was Got a lot, a lot of, of content. Yeah. And uh, as always, you can find your page over on SoundCloud, searching Kicking Out at 2. That's K-I-C-K-N, 
O-U-T, and at the number two. That's right. Very, very good. Yeah, and over on Retromania, we'll be having Hulkamania is Dead. We just dropped Hulkamania is Dead episode 11, uh, Sting vs. Savage, The Ultimate Challenge. Yeah, uh, interesting pay-per-view rundown of WrestleMania 6 right there. Uh, it's all our fantasy booking since Hulk Hogan has left the business in 1984. He took that big boot, and he walked. Wow. That, that, yeah. that, that's interesting. You know, Sting and Savage for WrestleMania 6, the ultimate challenge. I, I like that. That's, that's, I'm going to have to check. I haven't checked it out. I, I checked out the Royal Rumble one, which I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, but I'll definitely have to check that one out. That sounds like, uh, that, that, that sounds like that'd be very interesting. Yeah, it is, man. It is. So yeah, <laughs> you can find uh, Retromania as always on moleholeradio.com and or our singular feed, retromania.blogspot.com. And uh, we have our archive from our first season and the bonus episodes. And, of course, this show, Marking Out the Days. Yeah, very, yes. very cool. Very, very yep, cool. So and, oh, and by the way, for those of you that, that, that listen to – sorry to interrupt. For those of you that listen to Kicking Out at 2, you can also <coughs> find archives of this show, Marking Out the Days, on the Kicking Out at 2 stream over at SoundCloud.com. So be sure to go over there. Not only can you check out – my show but you can also check out the collaboration that kobe and i are putting together here on marking out the days yeah cool stuff man you ready to uh x this one out let's uh get on with the birthday wishes yeah let's do it man let's do it give it a shot all right uh bringing out the cake right now who's who's the first birthday that we have uh we're gonna go with current wwe female superstar tamina the daughter of the late great superfly jimmy snooker Mmm, Tamina. Um, I gotta say, yeah, the first thing I saw of her was in like 2007 when she was paired up with the Usos. Uh, do you recall that in WWE? I do recall the the, uh, the the time that they, you know, that she made her debut, and uh, I thought to myself, you know, looking at her, she's got this this uh not necessarily just this look about her that like was very intimidating this presence and mm-hmm. i thought that you know at the time women's wrestling was nothing really in wwe it was just all right. eye Natalia candy. had just came in but she yeah. was still kind of eye candy right yeah and so um tamina was another you know w- w- with someone with wrestling pedigree that i thought okay like they could start to do something and make women's wrestling a little bit more serious and how you know how fitting could it be that they have two women with backgrounds in the wrestling business, the Hart family, and of course, Jimmy Snuka, two names that are, you know, synonymous with wrestling with a lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, through a lot of wrestling fans' minds. And so I thought it would have been a good opportunity for them to capitalize on that and really start a women's movement. But of course that didn't take place. We would get that eight years later in WWE. But um, yeah, it was an interesting pairing. I, 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 I kind of, it reminded me a lot of um, China's association with Triple H early on, uh, mm-hmm. the, the big brooding female um, that you know just kind of, that did, wasn't afraid to mix it up and get physical with uh, right. with the guys. So, uh, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not the biggest Tamina fan. Yeah. I don't think she brings a whole lot. No disrespect intended. I'm not saying she's not talented, but um, uh, yeah, I've never really been impressed. That, yeah, there's nothing that really like jumps out at me like. <laughs> I, I don't mind the whole, you know, 
Twin Tower kind of gimmick with her and Nia Jax and the mm-hmm. association, the team. You know what I mean? They, they, they could be an intimidating-looking female tag team when, uh, you know, WWE decides to unveil those women's tag belts that they announced recently. But yeah. I, I don't really see, like, what else she brings, you know? She's been a bodyguard to almost all the females on the roster between Lana <laughs> and AJ and a few other girls. It's just, I don't know, like... I need to see more in order to be impressed. And that's unfortunate because she comes from such a great wrestling pedigree. Yeah. And I think she's had setbacks with injuries and, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday to Tamina. Sorry. We couldn't celebrate. uh, Sorry. We had shit on you on your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're going to do that from time to time. Yeah. It's, it's it's part of the course here on marking out the days, but uh, sharting out the days. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that should be like a like a like a segment on this show. <laughs> yeah, happy shark day to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, as we continue, uh, um, an unfortunate. I don't want to end the birthday uh, segment here on on a sad okay. note with you know uh, the with someone who's no longer with us, but uh, in late 2018, uh, uh, Grandmaster Sexay, Brian Lawler, uh, son of Hall of Famer Jerry the King Lawler, passed away. He celebrates a birthday today. Um, R.I.P. Yeah. I mean, the Too Cool gimmick was cool. I liked it. I had a lot of fun watching it as a kid. Me too. um, And he was a slimy heel at the beginning uh, in that light heavyweight division. Yes. Um, and, And you grew to hate him. So, yeah, he did a great job at that. I thought um, when I was younger, before they did the Too Cool gimmick, when him and Scott Taylor were together, before they yeah. did the transformation. Too much. Yeah. I thought they would have been a good pairing with Jim Cornette. I felt oh, yeah. like they like when Cornette brought that His version. Southern boys. Yeah. When Cornette brought that version of like the new Midnight Express with Bart Gunn and Bob Holly, I just thought it didn't really, it, it didn't translate to anything uh, special, but I thought with the charisma that that Cornette has combined with Lawler's charisma, or should I say Brian Christopher's charisma, I thought they would have been a good pairing, and it would have just made for they would have made a, a good like mid level uh, heel tag team in the WWF at that time. They would have. I just felt like it would have been it would, it would have been something fun to see. Yeah, good call. I like that. I would have liked that. Um, anything else? I can't, I can't think of too much else. I mean, he kind of peaked with that bit with uh, Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati, and then um, from there, kind of just dwindled. Yeah, right? he, he he disappeared a little bit. He was gone from the he was gone from the WWF, I believe, in uh, two thousand and one, uh, mm-hmm. late two thousand and one. I want to say. Uh, I know that unfortunately he's had some you know documented issues with uh, with uh, substance abuse. Uh, he had a small run. In TNA, in the early days of TNA, at the uh, the old asylum on the Nashville fair, fairgrounds, he was a, a, a regular uh, mm-hmm. for a number of months uh, with the promotion, and uh, yep. then uh, he he would make little comebacks here and there on TV. He was a part of uh, he he brought the Grandmaster Sex Ed gimmick back, and they brought him back a couple of times here and there for like one offs. Um, he kind of had like very similar like Marty Jannetty type returns where he would come and go. Um, yep. and then, uh, I believe the last time he had a serious role, I mean, actually I shouldn't say serious role, but the last time he was on WWE TV, I believe was a part of one of the very first NXT 
special events on the WWE Network. Um, hmm. Him and Scotty Too Hotty reformed Too Cool, and I believe they lost to The Ascension, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Wow. What a memory, Dave. Yeah, I, I do know. remember I was, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised I remembered it, too. But, um, the uh, yeah, it's it, it, unfortunately, you know, he's no longer <laughs> with us, and the circumstances surrounding his death to this day still haven't really been uh, – determined i i know that um there's there's some out there saying that you know he definitely didn't hang himself that this could have mm. been um someone else's doing uh but yeah. uh you know unfortunately um we don't know that and we may never know that but um an yeah, individual those... who was very talented who um like you said peaked with too cool i think that there was definitely i i don't think i don't think he hit hit his ceiling per se and i think no. unfortunately um the decisions that he made uh, while he was under the influence prevented him from uh, breaking that glass ceiling. So, um, yeah. But a talented individual nonetheless. And uh, happy birthday. Rest in peace to Grandmaster Sexay Brian Lawler. Yeah. Uh, synonymous laugh. Yes. Yes. Very, yeah. Very chicken shit hyena type of laugh <laughs> that he used to have. Yeah. He maybe reminded... I'll splicey it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's one more birthday on the docket. An individual that we're going to kind of talk about um, regarding uh, the, the Nitro episode in a little bit. But uh, Buff the Stuff Bagwell. Hey, uh, Daddy! Marcus, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Uh, happy birthday to Buff the Stuff. An individual that I always looked at as a kid like, this guy's a star. Like, he's just yep. got it. He's just got it all. Like, with the Same exception here. of, you know, the in-ring ability. It was nothing to write home about, but... Yeah. Dude, look, he was like a he was like a newer version of Lex Luger to me, uh, but with a mm -hmm. little bit more charisma and a little bit I more of the, personality. I liked the pairing. The first introduction to him that I had was him and Scotty Riggs, and American then he Males. turned. Yep, and then he turned. Wait, how does their song go again? Uh, American oh, Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Dude, Males. American I can males, I can look males, up the lyrics American for males, you if you yeah. like. Sure. Yeah, send those over my way. Um, okay. So American Males, I was I liked them a lot, and then he turned, and I liked that. Um, I I liked that he was a bad guy in NWO and teaming with Scott Norton later, Vicious and Delicious, um, which I played the hell out of that tag team in WCW Revenge. Oh, with him and Scott, Nintendo uh, Scott Norton, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah that was so good stuff. I liked that pairing, and then I, I thought he had a a decent singles run, but uh, yeah, like you said, he couldn't. Uh, couldn't deliver too much of a of a well-constructed match uh it seemed like um it was all the same you know the feud with lex luger that was rough um but you you kind of wanted to see what would happen yeah regardless because of you know his uh charisma and the way he looked and having his mom involved oh god <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah like I'll, I'll be honest with you like i wasn't really a big proponent of the whole mom thing and uh no you know um I met Bagwell once uh, when I when I was a kid. I used to work for a catering company in the restaurant business, and uh, we had the accounts at the, uh, the the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. We would do all the concerts, awesome. and we would cook for all the rock stars and their tours that would come through backstage. And Nitro came in August of 1998. That was the night that the Warrior made the debut, where he had that mm -hmm. like eight hour long promo. Mm -hmm. um, so I was basically bussing tables in the catering area and just cleaning up guys' trays. And he was sitting at a table with uh, Scott Norton. 
Morton and Rick Steiner. And those three guys were the nicest guys throughout the whole day. I, I could tell you other stories about that day as well, maybe on a future edition of Marking Out the Days. But Buff was really nice and just really cool. And I believe I still have his autograph um, in awesome. like my wrestling collectible book. But he was super nice. And then um, – as I grew to develop a uh, friendship with uh, the Hurricane, Shane Helms over the years, I've, mm-hmm. I, I heard some of the, the, the famous stories regarding his issues with, um, with, with Buff and uh, some of the urban legends regarding Buff and uh, his mother. Like, Buff's mother used to um, clip his toenails and shave his body what? in the locker room. Yeah, like some weird shit, man. Like some <laughs> super weird stuff. Like, there's even stories that, like, and I don't know, with all due respect to, to, to Buff, because this is his birthday, you know. Hey, man, she's taking care of the gimmick. She's yeah, get, I heard that she, too. there's rumors that she used to shave his ball bag, too, but I, oh. I'm not, I, I, haven't, I haven't dug deep into, you know, getting that confirmed but um i did manage to find the american males lyrics so uh after the whole american males american males it goes when you see them coming you better run for cover girls you don't need a weekend lover Uh uh-huh american males if they want to talk to you you better not listen you might wind up in critical condition american males and then it just goes, American males, American males, American males. They're irresistible. They're unpredictable. American, yeah, 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 yeah. American males. Yeah, wow. that's pretty much it. That's, that's, that, yeah, yeah that's it. That's yeah. it. You don't need a, Mar- a weekend lover. You need an American male. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> as a, as an avid listener of WHW with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson, they've, they, they kind of shit on buff sometimes too, but in like a fun joking way. Mm-hmm. And, um, Apparently, Buff, in his later years in wrestling, uh, had turned to becoming a male gigolo. Yes. Uh, and he was uh, a part of a Showtime documentary on, mm-hmm. uh, on the Showtime network, uh, highlighting his, um, his career as a, uh, as, a, as a gigolo. And he was a part of – and Conrad and Tony um, used to put up a uh, um, – what did they do? Oh, they uh, – they advertised his um, the, the webpage he was on, cowboysforangels.com. Uh, yeah, which was uh, pretty interesting. And they went over, like, all his price points and stuff. Like, if you wanted to spend a whole week with him, if you wanted, if you wanted Buff and all his stuff for a complete seven days, it would cost you $25,000 day Holy and night shit. to have Buff. But there was, like, all these... Grand. Yeah, twenty five grand to get Buff and his stuff, and I don't know if he's Here's still doing thing. it now. But uh, it, it, are, are men getting this more than women? I see. I don't know. There isn't. There isn't like a gender kind of. There isn't statistics regarding the gender um, ratio, whether it's men, women, or both that uh, have acquired Buff services. But that's something that uh, if if you're interested in. You might have to go check that out over at CowboysforAngels.com. Thank you. Good plug for them. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That that website's probably gotten a lot more wrestling fans traveling over there than ever before, (laughs) if you really think about it. True. After After that, Tony Schiavone. Yeah. yeah, They've they've made Cowboys. They probably look at their stats and they're like, like, wow, we got a lot of hits. Yeah, we got a lot of hits from... From, from 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 all the and they look at all the servers and the IP address and yeah it's just what it's just a yeah you you, well, you may you may see a future ad for cowboysforangels.com on uh, on, on a uh, uh, an independent wrestling show near you 
well, yeah, that, 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 that's Buff's Sponsored legacy. Sponsored by... Yeah. That's yeah, Buff's happy legacy, birthday. man. Happy birthday, Buff. Um, you are the stuff. So, uh, yeah. And that for 25 being... grand, you may never get enough. <laughs> True. For at least a week. Yeah, for at least a week. Seven days. Oh, yeah. man. All right, let, let's kill this talk about buff sex life right now because I, yeah. we're, we're totally going to turn people off this show if we if we don't get yeah, get the train back on the track. Back like, on the rails, let's uh, take a actually a bullet train uh, right now. We'll go to January 10th, 1982. Some specific uh, two matches that I want to highlight here. It is Tiger Mask. Defeating Dynamite Kid at a New Japan Pro Wrestling Tokyo um, show. This was placed in Tokyo, obviously, but it had WWF talent on here defending their championships. Um, the Tiger Mask defeating Dynamite Kid to be uh, to to win the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, and that's a great match. I found that on YouTube a long time ago. I believe it is still available on YouTube. Um, it's a, it's a good one from Tom Billington and one Tiger Mask Masawa. Yeah, I've, uh, I'll be honest with you, I've not checked that out. Um, but, um, I imagine, you know, I've heard nothing but great things regarding Tiger Mask, regarding Dynamite Kid. Um, some people may argue that Dynamite Kid is the guy that really, really paved the way for the smaller guys in wrestling. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and people look at those guys as the guys that really paved the way. But, uh, you know, Dynamite and even a Tiger Mask, um, really, uh, set the bar pretty high for what, you know, smaller guys can do in the industry. And, uh. You know, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. That match between those two, because you know, I, I as much as I as much as I love um, pro wrestling, I like variety in my pro wrestling, and uh, this mm-hmm. is definitely a match that probably would be right up my alley. Yep, a lot of classic um, springboard spots, and um, just a lot of a lot of stuff that that's influenced and paved the way. Definitely in that match, um, and then another highlight from this card is Bob Backlund defending the WWF world heavyweight title against Tatsumi Fujinami. And that was a 12-minute match. Um, I recall seeing that on New Japan uh, World, I believe. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I I believe you can find that on New Japan World. Um, There is a... It's it's an interesting time. It's Backlund before he's going to drop it to Sheik, and then we're about to have the era of Hulkamania. This is also right off the tails of Hulk Hogan being a huge star in New Japan and AWA. So interesting time right here. Yeah, this is very interesting. Um, and what what I also find interesting about it too is is the fact that um, if I'm not mistaken, this was the time period where I believe. Vince Senior was was he starting to 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 become yep. ill, and then eventually yep. Vince Junior would start buying the company. Mm-hmm. So you would see. So pretty much after this point, Vince McMahon Junior and the World Wrestling Federation working with other promotions would cease to exist because Vince Senior was basically he was a respected guy amongst a lot of the promoters across the country um he even had a spot on the on the board of directors for the nwa even though that the wwf was not 
a part of the NWA. He had a spot on the board because he was so respected. Correct. Um, so this was probably this was probably the last of its time at that time <laughs> of seeing two guys from two different promotions face each other. Um, yep. Because you would get maybe this, a little bit more for the next year. You would get uh, another like Harley Race and Bob Backlund match. Um, uh-huh. They would mix up with the NWA a, a couple more times, but yeah. Yep. But this was about the tail end of it. Okay. Yeah, so uh, some interesting stuff there. You can find that on New Japan World, and you can also look up that Tom Billington uh, Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask 1 Misawa. Um, you can find that on YouTube or Daily Motion. So, yeah, look those up. Maybe we'll drop a link. Very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I'll All right. check it out. Next, you want to you wanna go down the uh, chronologically? Yeah, let's go 1994. Uh, an episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, nothing to really write home about on this episode, with the exception of the One Two Three Kid and Marty Jannetty defeating the Quebecers to become the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Um, yeah. Very fun match. Uh, very I thought the fun. I thought the Quebecers were an underrated tag team for their time. Agreed. And, uh, I thought that you know. Uh, one, two, three, kid, and Marty Jannetty made a good combination. Two flyers. I was a big Rockers fan, so I always liked Jannetty, and I thought it was same cool here. That, I thought Jannetty. It was cool that he got a, a a chance at the titles, even though it would only last for about a week. Yeah, um, the celebration was cool. Savage coming in and giving them the belts and kind of giving them the rub and raising their hand. Yep. Um, and it, and it at the time I remember because going that was before the 1994 Royal Rumble that it was announced that Brett and Owen were going to face the Quebecers for the championship. And I, I remember, if I was like, they oh, retained. wow, yeah. that changes, that changes yep. things. So do the Quebecers get the rematch at the Royal Rumble, or do Brett and Owen still get the title shot and they face one, two, three kid Marty Jannetty? And I just remember thinking to myself as a kid, ooh, I'd love to see Brett and Owen versus Jannetty and the kid. That would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that would mm-hmm. be an awesome match to see. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, a week later... Quebecers end up winning the tag team titles at a house show in Madison Square Garden. Well, that was to let you know that anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, and what was interesting about that, too, I remember in particular, because when I was a kid, my parents wouldn't really let me stay up to watch Monday Night Raw. Um, And I certainly wasn't recording it um, at the time on VHS, but uh, there was that that episode in particular the week following on the the, uh, the, the 17th. And... um, I remember Raw was going on, and then they announced that the Quebecers and Jannetty had won the tag, or the Quebecers had beaten Jannetty and the kid in the garden for the tag team titles. I was like, wait a minute, there's another WWF show going on, and it's not yep. on TV? Like, it just kind of, like, scratched my head. And then, of course, you know, smartening up years later, uh, dumbass, uh, that was live, and the show that you were watching was taped probably a week ago. So, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean... It was a fun little underdog tag team that I felt like you probably could have gotten a little bit more out of. But yeah. um, I think well, we the got titles... some cool spots here from PCO, who is currently still wrestling. Yes. Um, he does that, that wonderful somersault move that the, he has with uh, Ray Rougeau. Oh, the um, top rope finish? Yeah. Yeah, that is I thought cool. he was going to crush 1-2-3 Kid. Because yeah. it had been a while since I had watched this match all the way through. Um, and like you said, the the crowd was going wild for Marty because uh, he would he would come and go and come and go and had those start and stops um, because of his drug issue and uh, getting fired by Vince and then rehired. Um, but yeah, 
he he was on fire and the the fans loved him. Um, yeah. As did I as a kid too. I was a Marty Jannetty guy, not a Shawn Michaels guy. Really? Not until Shawn Michaels was on his own post nine WrestleMania nine or ten. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I liked them both, but you know, and I I, I definitely liked Shawn a little more, but I didn't like. Ignore Marty Jannetty like most fans. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But, yep. you know, that's that's just the, the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. And then we get a beautiful, um, beautiful moonsault moves from the one, two, three kid. He's taking most of the heat in this match, but it, it got four and a half stars, uh, four and three quarter stars, I guess, from Meltzer. So this one stood out to him. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, even though you've never been in a fucking wrestling ring before. I mean, neither have I, but shit, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I observe yeah. as a fan. I don't, I don't observe as an expert. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, for me, the match kind of had some some uh, issues with uh, uh, communication, I could tell. But, yeah, but it, 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 was, a, it was a fun match to watch. Yeah, and it like certainly you said, was. And like you said, Macho Man coming in at the end and celebrating with them and them going into the crowd, that was a cool moment. And uh, people in 1994, man, they, they just don't they don't care about the camera. They care about, like, celebrating and looking at other people in the audience, you know? Yeah. If you, if you look at the dynamics in the crowds as they change throughout the years. Um, it's it's just interesting. Just a nice well, little note. It's, a, it's, an inter- it's an interesting take you, you, you bring up there because if you look at today's crowds, most people that are watching the action, they're watching it through their camera phone. It's like they mm-hmm. got to capture everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember going to a show and, granted, I would get, like, a disposable camera or I would just wait for it to come on TV to try and find it, you know, if I if I was within camera shot. Nowadays, like, you have a camera phone and you're, you're watching most of the match. And I've been guilty of it, too. I'm not going to lie. But most people are using their phones to, to document what's going on without really sitting and actually enjoying the show. True. Um, the first show I went to in 15 years recently was the ROH show that took place in Baltimore. Um, and I, I had my cell phone there. This is the first time like having a cell phone since I had been at a wrestling show in so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a couple pictures when guys came out and that was yeah. it. And I left my phone alone um, and I enjoyed what I was there to see. Um, I guess that's just me, but... I liked the fact that people were forced to pay attention to the fucking product, not to go there to, uh, you know, if they get bored for a segment, to look at their phone and entertain themselves. You're already getting entertained where you're there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely with you on that. Definitely with Uh, you on that. Yeah, we're old, so. (laughs) We're showing our age right now, Dave. Yeah, I know. (laughs) All right, anything else from this card? I mean, we get Ludwig Borga having having a squash match. He's the uh, precursor to Brock Lesnar for me. Um, really? Just just the look, you know? Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and then Undertaker having a burial match. Um, and they're hyping the the Yokozuna feud that's going on. With the casket Yoko- match that goes into yep. that royal Double rumble. wide, double deep. Yeah. Yokozuna. Right. And then Bam Bam Bigelow defeating Bastion Booger. Yikes! Yeah, I think we can uh, we, we we can move on yeah. from that here, and let's fast forward to uh, let's fast forward to 1999, Ooh. January the 10th, 1999. 
ECW's guilty as charged. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Kissimmee, Florida. Yeah, right outside of Disney. Imagine that. Imagine Mm -hmm. seeing. Imagine seeing like uh, a a, a bloodied up Sandman or uh, (laughs) or a Dudley boy with like you know a a a tape around its head walking around Magic Kingdom or Epcot. Yeah, imagine (laughs) Goofy getting a 3D. Oh God, yeah. (laughs) Doink. Yeah. Or a bunch of ECW fans telling Minnie Mouse to show your tits, show yeah. your tits. She's a crack rat. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, wow. Yeah. San- Sandman going to all the uh, the countries and Epcot and uh, experiencing every single beer that there is. Um, smashing his face up. Smashing yeah. his face over a, over a beer stein in Germany. Yeah, I mm-hmm. could just uh, I could just picture it now. I could just definitely picture it. Now. Sounds but, great, um, huh? But, I mean, as far as the show goes, I mean, it was just the first time. I never watched it on pay-per-view. Um, but I, I watched it for the first time uh, earlier this week. And I must say, um, it was a fun show. There was there was, a, it, it was there was some good stuff and there was some bad stuff. But yeah, the atmosphere and I think aesthetically the look of the show I thought was pretty cool. Like, I don't know what the arena was shaped like, but it looked like a like a like a bowl, like a, like a big bowl, like a dome mm-hmm. in some ways, you know what I mean? And it yes. looked packed. It looked sold out. I don't know what it holds in there or if, if the arena even still exists. It was 2,600 uh, in attendance. Really? Cause it didn't yeah. look like that. It looked like it was, it looked like maybe like 5,000 people in there. That's, that's crazy. 2,600 people. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. But, uh, um, and what was interesting about ECW to me as a fan was, um, like I said, the way it was produced. So, for instance, the hard camera was hanging over the entryway, so you could see the um, the guilty as charged logo that yep. was, you know on the canvas of the ring, right side I mean, up as opposed to upside down. And I just yeah. thought that look was 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 kind of cool. The long ramp, I always dug the long ramp. Yep. Um, Paul Heyman has a days. photography background, so he he has a good eye for everything. Yeah. Um, and he, he designed ECW TV very well and produced it in the, his mother's basement. Um, yes. You know, it just just amazing stuff here. And the promo from him at the beginning is awesome. Just he's he's telling you, yes, the card is subject to change. He's not going to, you know, rip you off and they're not going to pull a swerve. Um, and, they, and then they go on with the show. Yeah. And that was the beauty of ECW at the time, too, because ECW had this like wild west kind of atmosphere even if like a guy was injured or a guy walked out on the company or signed with WCW or whatever the case may be they acknowledged it the audience accepted it and then they 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 managed to deliver a good plan B you yep. know what i mean and yep. as opposed to like if 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 some if if i'm starting over my words here but if like WWF or WCW were to um kind of go in that direction let's say like guys were coming and going and they were um they were putting in replacements and and they didn't acknowledge it then Mm -hmm. then to the audience the audience would see it as like a big fuck you um but like i said because ecw was presented like i said with this unpredictable atmosphere that of like anything goes that the the guys walking out or the guys not showing up or the guys that were injured and they announced it ahead of time, it was accepted by the audience and it was treated, um, it was treated as such where it was treated with respect pretty much like that, that their, that their absence was not yeah. going to be a part of the show. And the, and there wasn't like a huge, like 
outpouring of you know again not going to insult the audience yeah Um, yeah pretty much yeah so yeah uh they're they know that the people are smart so they're not going to treat them like dummies uh and he tells you what's going on here and then we get the typical beginning of ecw matches where people just come out and the match starts and it's out of nowhere it's now it's a three-way dance <laughs> you know like type deal yeah i always did that uh segued into different matches like that or just guys got into the ring and then started a match out of nowhere um so this first one is uh axel rotten and balls mahoney beating little guido tracy smothers and uh roadkill and danny doring yeah not was, too much to was. write not too much to write home about here. Just another ECW schmoz. But then this one here, Yoshihiro Tajiri defeating Super Crazy in a 12-minute match. This is nice little showcasing. This is Tajiri pre-Crazy uh, Tajiri. <laughs> yes, this was, um, I believe, both guys' ECW debut on pay-per-view, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And Tajiri this was... had wrestled in WWF, and uh, Jimmy and I had covered that in the first season of Origin of Attitude. Okay. Yeah. Was that a part of the light heavyweight tournament? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, now I vaguely remember. But um, yeah, this was pre. This was their both their ECW pay per view debuts, and uh, this was a 1999 internet fanboys wet dream right here, mm. um, between all the counters and uh, the chain wrestling and the two styles working, you know, meshing really well together with that, you know. That, that Japanese style of yep. Tajiri, the Mexican wrestling, the Lucha the Libre style. The kicks from Tajiri. Oh, yeah. And, and, but even Tajiri being able to you know wrestle that Lucha Libre style, it, it really worked out well. And what I loved about this match, not only just the counters and all the near falls and things like that, but I like the finish. The, yeah. the, 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 um, the dragon suplex with the cradle by Tajiri. Man, I didn't, he I, bridged I, something else, huh? Yeah. He built I a beautiful expect- bridge. Yeah, I didn't expect the finish to go that, down like that. I expected a kick to the head or a moonsault of some kind, but a very standard, traditional wrestling or you know, Japanese wrestling suplex to end the match. I thought that was yeah. a, a pleasant surprise for all the, the chaos that you normally see in ECW. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a combination move. Uh, he spin, spun him on his back and then, uh, you know, uh, countered into that uh, that dragon suplex. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I like that one. And then, okay, another note here. Let's. It's John Cronus coming out, and who do we see to face him? Sid Vicious. Wow, yes. this is uh, this is his little his little road in between WWF and WCW. Correct. Uh, and I do not remember him being in ECW at all. I'm not gonna lie. So this is like the first time I've seen this card all the way through. I had probably seen the the Taz and uh, franchise match, as well as the Tommy Dreamer and Justin Credible and Rob Van Dam and Lance Storm. But uh, the undercard I didn't really pay attention to or must have forgotten. But yeah, uh, just surprised to see Sid here. He's looking extra jacked and oh, uh, takes care of Cronus. And S- people Sid love was, it. Yeah, Sid was the man. And uh, I was a big Sid guy. Um, a guy who was a star, who I think had a good run, but I think he could his run could have been even better. You know, if he didn't mm-hmm. if, if if he didn't you know take <laughs> softball as a priority. Um, yeah. According to the to the uh, the urban legends out there, but uh, yeah. I thought this was a fun little surprise. I remember hearing at that time in 1999 of Sid making one offs in ECW. Um, 
And uh, John Cronus, I kind of felt bad for him because he was a part of that cool tag team with Saturn and the Eliminators, and then yeah, he pretty man. much was relegated to nothing. Um, I got a fun John Cronus story if if you if you have a minute. Let's um, do it. I uh, it was in two thousand and three. I want to say two thousand two. No, it was two. Th- it was two thousand two, and I was um, a couple of buddies of mine, and I we ended up. Uh, uh, getting in touch with um jason knight who was just just incredible's bodyguard um, okay he had, yep. a wrestling, he had a wrestling school in connecticut called assault championship wrestling he is best known for training uh uh, uh velvet sky from her tna days uh before she was velvet sky and mm-hmm. uh so anyhow uh, we we got in touch with him and a couple of my friends were looking to go to wrestling school i was still kind of unsure what i wanted to do um, I was actually afraid to even think about going to wrestling school because I thought my parents would like not disown me, but like try to kick me out of the house because I wanted to drop out of college. Yeah. And so, um, which is probably one of my biggest regrets in some ways, not pursuing wrestling further when I was younger. Right. Anyhow, um, we ended up getting in touch with, uh, with, with Jason Knight and Joel Gertner, who was helping out with the small promotion out of Connecticut. And we ended up uh, becoming the ring crew. And wow. we would be we would be ring crew for the shows, and they would take place in this small little uh, like Elks Lodge that maybe f- sat like a hundred people. A um, bingo hall. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, there was like a little bar in the back, um, w- which is which had been the scene for a number of uh, False Count Anywhere matches uh, during during my time as the part of the ring crew. So we we got to set up the ring and watch the show for free, and we would see some ECW guys come and go. Balls, Axel. Francine, uh, Candido, um, you know, list of guys that had had nice. their time in ECW with uh, with Jason Knight. And like I said, this was 2002, so this is a year removed from when you know basically all the competition was gone, and and you know there's probably about 90 to 100 wrestlers on the open market. And so, uh, ACW was doing a um, uh, a one year anniversary show. And headlining that show was uh, Kid Cash and Chris Hamrick. Wow. And uh, so we did the ring crew, and uh, the the co-main event was Jason, and I think it was like Balls, Axel. No, it was, no I'm sorry. It was Jason and John Cronus in a tag team uh, dog collar match against this tag team called the Mutilators. And these guys just went all over the place, um, brawling everywhere. And I remember, um, as part of the ring crew, they also asked me to just kind of like relay finishes to referees, like during the, during the match. So I'd have to walk by ringside and like tell the referee you got like three minutes or something like that, you know, kind of do the timing right. a little bit. And then if things changed, um, I'd have to go to the back and tell certain guys. Cause this was the first time that I believe ACW ever broadcasted this show live on the internet. Okay. Um, this was like before. This was like before you know streaming was a thing. There was yeah. like an internet live feed that you could watch this show if you couldn't make it to the to the to the uh, what they call the Meriden Independence Club at the time in Meriden, Connecticut. I recall so, not having a bandwidth fast enough to ever yeah, do that. You, so yeah, there was there was a, there was a lot of you know stop and start and a lot of you know. Um, pausing and buffering and things like that. Technology, obviously, you know, in 16, 17 years later is, is different, you know, yeah. than it was back then in 2002. So anyhow, um, they have this main event. And I remember this co-main event. And it's Jason Knight and John Cronus. And I remember having to go to them to tell them 
what how much time they had and they basically were like we'll fucking finish when we tell you we'll finish and i was wow. like okay i was just told by so and so that you guys <coughs> need to go i think it was like 12 or 13 minutes or something like that you're like my bad yeah so basically i went back to the i went back to the broadcast table and told the guy who was doing the color uh who also helped out with a lot of the timing of the show his name was mike milano uh he's no longer with us anymore uh he died a number of years ago and uh i remember telling mike and i was like mike they basically just told me to go fuck myself like they're not they're not gonna you know go by the finish um they're not gonna go by the time they're they're gonna end when they say they're gonna end mike's like well i'm not surprised to hear that he goes at least you went over there and said something to him so anyhow they have this match they're all over the fucking arena um blood everywhere all kinds of cha- chairs and tables and barbed wire and you know part of being the ring crew when these hardcore matches took place we had to clean that shit up you know so we can get ready for the next match so we're getting all the stuff out of the ring um and then the night ends and we're packing the ring up and downstairs in this place there was another bar that was that was um attached to it and that's where a lot of the wrestlers would hang out mm-hmm. and that was part of like the dressing room there was like one small room and then there was like this bar that was attached to it and that's where the wrestlers would go um hang out so i'm putting the ring in this u-haul truck it's like one o'clock in the morning and there's the street lights aren't really working very well and it's kind of dark and all of a sudden like out of nowhere i get this like grab on my shoulder and it's john cronus and he's like hey kid you need to drive me to philadelphia my fucking ride left me and i'm like uh 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 like i didn't know what to say i was like hold on we're we're part of the ring crew we got to bring the ring back let me let me figure out what's happening. I'll, I'll get right back to you. He's like, I need a ride to fucking Philly. I need, like, he was basically telling me I'm going like, you're not, you know, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There was, no, there was no choice there. So at that point I went to one of my buddies. I was like, John Cronus just basically scared the shit out of me and said that we have to drive him to Philadelphia. And they were like, Oh, that's so cool. And I was like, no, it's not cool because I have my parents minivan and they certainly wouldn't approve of me driving four and a half hours from here to Philadelphia to drop this fucking guy off. It's one o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't get home till probably like 10 the next day, maybe even 11 o'clock, you know, it was a Saturday night. And, uh, um, so I went to one of the other wrestlers who was a part of the ring crew, uh, a good buddy of mine by the name of uh, Bull Dread. Uh, if you're listening, if you're listening, Bull, what's up, man? Um, and uh, I said to him, I go, John Cronus just basically threatened my life, and he wants me to drive him to Philadelphia, and he's fucking drunk, and he's still bleeding, and uh, you know, I, I I don't know if I could do this. It's my parents' van; they're gonna kill me. I was like 18 years old. I didn't know. Yeah. Him, you know, so I, yeah. I was really young. He was like, "Don't worry about it." He goes, I'll, "He goes, I'll bring him back downstairs. We'll we'll figure out a ride for him." He goes, "You got the ring to put away, and don't worry about it." So we ended up like basically just throwing everything in the back of that truck i grab my van someone else drives the truck and we haul ass out of there and they they basically they managed to get cronus a ride but he ended up having to crash with someone else uh for the night and then get the ride the next morning so uh yeah that was that was my experience with john cronus um unfortunately he's no longer with us but it wasn't a very pleasant one i should say wonderful story well thank you i like i like it uh to not to like undersell it, but I'm not surprised that he would be that, like that type of person. <laughs> yeah, I heard he was a little off his rocker. Yeah, but um, um, the Sid stuff was cool. That, that that was a lot of fun to see. That I liked it. I, I, I loved I dug it. it. And, the, and the ECW audience dug it too because 
Sid was always looked at as like a guy from you know the the, the mainstream of wrestling, whether it be WWF or WCW, and they put him on they they, they put him in ECW, which is like the underground, so mm-hmm. to speak, at that time, and they. They, they took to him really well, which kind of surprised yeah. me. I thought, you know, you were going to hear chance of, you know, go back to WWF or fuck no. WCW or stuff like that. But it was it was a lot of fun. I think Sid's a guy who benefited uh, a lot from his booking. He was never um, booked terribly to where he looked, you know, so bad to where it was it, it ruined his character. He looked like this world beater um, monster that you had to yeah. go through. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, moving on the card, here we go. It's the Dudley family out big dig Dudley, um, Joel Gertner, Bubba Ray Dudley looking mighty heavy here. And Devon Dudley looking slim and trim here. Um, but if you thought what we said about Minnie Mouse and the Disney people were bad, uh, Joel Gertner, Joel Gertner is, he rips into it. Maybe I'll splicey splicey that in, but, uh, yeah. breaking out on his face. bacon to her eggs <laughs> talking the, about mini mouse the, right? the man for whom she begs and the face between her legs <laughs> yep <laughs> that was my favorite part of the whole thing yeah i was like just I'm gonna disgusting steal that stuff one. here yeah i'm gonna steal that one and use that on my wife <laughs> there we go that'll definitely work <laughs> she'd appreciate that <laughs> so um uh this is the Dudley boys challenging anybody and uh, new Jack and spike Dudley come out. And this is just another typical ECW new Jack thing with a bunch of uh, pans getting slung around and trash cans and uh, people jumping off of stuff. Spike taking a huge bump, 
getting thrown into the audience from Bubba Ray. Um, yeah, just crazy stuff here. It, yeah, it was uh, your, your your typical you know ECW hardcore kind of match. The Dudleys um, at that time were so hated because of you know that 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 opening monologue that they usually had before matches where they would just get the crowd all riled up and yeah, Bubba Ray was really good at that. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, um, typical stuff. I mean, you know, twenty years later take it or leave it but you know at the time in 1999 i was like even though like i appreciated the overall wrestling product and i wasn't you know uh in that mindset of like cheer the good guys boo the bad guys like Mm -hmm. i i i just like to see an entertaining show i i looked at those two and i was like those are the real last at that time those were the real last true bad guys in all of wrestling Right. Because they they just they didn't care what the audience thought of them. They they went over the limit when it came yeah. to getting heat. And as soon it was as cool. as soon as Joel Gertner was getting over with the crowd, Bubba had to kill it. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was good. Uh, good stuff here from the the Dudleys. You know, pre WWF days. Um, but not too much to write home about it with the match. Moving on the card, Rob Van Dam defeating Lance Storm. Uh, defending his ECW World Television title. This match gets a lot of talk. Uh, for me, it was okay. <laughs> um, I've never been like a huge RVD guy. Um, I, I like his moves. Uh, uh, he can perform well in the ring, but just something about his charisma or lack thereof sometimes. Um Maybe it's that he's stoned out of his mind in this match, um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It just didn't. It it it's a great, it's a good match, but it's not one of the like highlights I would call for ECW, if that makes sense. I think RVD and Jerry Lynn had far better matches. Oh yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, um, I liked RVD. I thought he was exciting to watch. Um, I could I could see why others don't necessarily feel the same way but um with this match i felt like it was too much of an rvd highlight reel exactly he got all of his shit in and i felt like as i i I understand what they were trying to do they were trying to build him up they were trying to make they were probably trying to make eventually you know him be the next challenger for the world championship while still establishing the tv title as a very important title in ecw but lance storm was a very credible wrestler mm-hmm. he i felt like as a fan like he he definitely would have been a good ecw tv champion and i felt like lance storm in this match was just it looked they made it look like rvd was far superior than a guy of uh, like Lance Storm and his caliber of talent. And I didn't think that was fair to Storm. Yeah, it's like Lance said, uh, why don't you call the match? And RVD was like, all right, I got nothing for you, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like, all right, dude, I'm going to get all my shit in, so I'll just tell you when it's coming. <laughs> no, RVD was like, all right, I'll get my shit in, and then I'll call your spots. And then he got stoned and forgot, and then he did the match, and he did his spots, and uh, that was it, yeah. <laughs> What's your spot again? Oh, yeah. you're from Calgary? Alberta, Canada. You're going to be serious for a minute? I got it. I got it. Yeah. Cool, dude. Yeah. yeah, Hit or miss with me for this one. Uh, But the next one, 
I loved the pack. The promo package that they had here was incredible. Well, <laughs> there we go. It's just incredible. Uh, defeating Tommy Dreamer in a stairway to hell ladder match. Um, I loved this. I just liked just Incredible's swagger. Um, this is actually, if you look at just incredible right here, he's, he's taken some stuff from triple H, but he is also pre triple H when triple H, you know, turned heel, it, uh, like mm-hmm. the super takeover of McMahon Helmsley, triple H. Okay. Where he came out with the leather and the jeans. Yep, um, yep. So you can tell, and they, they're both members of the click. So uh, you can tell that they had carried the same swagger, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely, I, I could definitely see that. Um, I, I found, I found his entourage a little bit complexing. Yes, I, mean, I, got, I love, I, got, I love entourages like that, though. I mean, I mean, I guess it made sense for ECW, but like Jason, okay, I understood, but like you had, you had. Nicole, Nicole Bass. Bass, okay, who's, you know, a big chick. Yeah. And it looked like they were trying to go with the China factor. Yes. But then you had Jazz, who at the time was not a big unknown. chick. Yeah. They didn't even know big... who she, they, they didn't even, they were like, they couldn't even tell you what her name was. Cause it said like, Jasmine this? on her jacket. Oh, really? Okay. See, I didn't see that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just felt like if they were trying to establish Jazz as a serious threat or credible or whatever the case is, no pun intended, mm-hmm. then don't put her next to Nicole Bass because in my opinion, she looked she got like, dwarfed. yeah, exactly. It was, you know, you remember the old Dave and Buster's commercials where they would say like, I'm going to bring my fun with me. And it would show like a little mini version of the person that's talking <laughs> like, that's what, that's what it, it, it looked like to me. Like Nicole True. Bass was like, I'm going to bring my fun with me, but True. she's African American and... and she's smaller than me. You yeah. know, like and, that's what it just looked like to me. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take jazz very seriously at this point, but, no, you know. but jazz was big, not to, not to say she was small either, you know, but she compared was... to Nicole Bass is a different story. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, uh, I, I can see that. Yep. Uh, so this match though, um, Tommy dreamer bleeding everywhere. Um, a lot of back and forth, some gruesome bumps that they take in here. Um, yeah. I, enjo- I enjoyed this. This was a good ECW match for me. Yeah, um, it, 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 yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. I like the uh, the finish at the end with Funk. Yep. Um, Terry with, Funk with, coming out. Yeah, with the trash can. I mean, I the, he. Do you remember the promo earlier in the evening? Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, he hit him so hard with the can that the handle of the trash can was still in his hand. Yep. It, like ripped off like the actual <laughs> the galvanized trash can which i thought was which is you could even see in the replay yep. after he hits him with it he like looks at his hand like oh i still got the handle and the can already was in the ring by the time dreamer was you know knocked out <laughs> but um yeah that was a it was interesting to see terry funk in that kind of a role because um i mean he was always a good natural bad guy but at that time in ecw and especially in that time in wrestling, because he was so hardcore and because the ECW audience had looked at him as like the godfather of ECW, mm-hmm. it was surprising to me that they were booing him, That especially when he turned on Dreamer. It, it, 
I was just yeah. waiting for him to go back and be a good guy. You know what I right. mean? Especially, especially with Dreamer having like to deal with Credible and his entourage. I just thought, well, shit. You know, Funk's gonna snap out of it, and he'll he'll help Dreamer again. And it didn't happen. But yeah, I was a little taken aback, not knowing. Yeah, I, I was a little. I'm sorry, I was a little taken aback because I, I always viewed Terry Funk as like a a face for uh, yep. for for ECW fans at least. Yeah. Especially coming off the heels of this is just coming off the heels right of um, Beyond the Mat, so yes. so I saw him as a face, and then watching this for the first time, I was like, oh shit, he's a heel here, interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it worked. Yeah, it worked. I mean, yeah, like I said, it, it definitely worked. But I was at that point where I was waiting for, like I said, Terry Funk to you know help dreamer win but it didn't happen here but nonetheless like i said fun match um definitely some cool spots in it and uh at that time i mean in hindsight you know being 2020 now in in, in 2019 uh you know just incredible in 1999 looked like one like a like a serious player in 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 all of wrestling based on his performance with Tommy 19, dreamer 1999 to 2000 was uh yeah, an incredible. It was a good year for him. <laughs> I'm trying not to use "incredible," but it's hard. But uh, it's hard. Yeah, I guess his gimmick works. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> last but certainly not least, Taz defeating Shane Douglas for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship uh, by TKO here. Um, yes. What would you think of this one? Why don't you talk me through it? Um, I like the build-up for this. I, I, I thought that they that they built this storyline up really well. I remember a good portion of it from late 98 into 99 as a kid. And, uh, you know, Douglas kind of throwing every obstacle in Taz's way, even though he was injured. Um, this kind of really started, if you think about it, at the ECW Wrestlepalooza. Uh, 1997, when Taz basically called out Douglas and said, I can make you tap out in under five minutes. And he yep. beat Douglas for the TV title. And it was like a big shock. And yeah. then Douglas would eventually get the opportunity at the world title. He'd become the world champ. But then he would throw Bigelow in Taz's way. Um, yeah, the triple had, threat. Yeah, and the, and the rest of the triple threat as well. Um, and then... <laughs> Sa uh, Taz would have to enlist in Sabu and RVD to counter the triple threat. Right. And in the video package before this main event, you saw Sabu was the one that turned on Taz, stole the cover from Douglas to earn himself an opportunity at Douglas's title. Um, what I found more interesting following that was Taz choking out Sabu, destroying putting him through the table, him. destroying him, and breaking then putting him over. Yeah, breaking his neck and then putting him over him and having Sabu cover him and Sabu gets the victory but the because FTW he's got a broken title. net yeah, yeah t takes the FTW title and then because Sabu's got a broken neck he can't wrestle Douglas so Taz basically as the somewhat hired mercenary of Shane Douglas at some because at some point he became a mercenary of Douglas to get rid of Sabu. Right. He, he he tricked everyone, hurt Sabu, cost him the opportunity at the ECW title, then took it and said, I'm now gonna be the guy that's gonna dethrone you for the title. I'm not doing Coming your dirty your work title. anymore. Yep. yep. And I thought the build up to that was really, really good. I agree. And so it made that match 
uh, like it had that big fight feel, and that's something that like gets thrown around a lot nowadays. But in, in 1999, <laughs> this match certainly had that feeling, and even like from from them like facing off and the referee being in the middle and them doing the ring introductions, it just had this like like I said, this big fight feel to it. That it was a long time coming. Like you knew Taz was gonna win, and it was gonna be good. Like it wasn't one of those buildups where you didn't know what the outcome was gonna be. It was one of those buildups where you knew what the outcome was going to be. It was going to be good, and you were yes. going to enjoy it. This was know? a story. And it, and it was okay for it to be predictable in that sense. Correct. And, it, yeah, this was a story that they were telling for a long time. You knew where they yeah. were going. But it, it was like Sabu and uh, Taz is a feud that solidified ECW as a uh, you know a top top promotion. But yeah. their 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 main goal was always Taz and franchise. Yeah. Um. The two the two homemade guys basically for ECW that yeah, had been I mean, um you know had had been grown there for a while since 1992 yeah. nearly but for both the guys. Yeah, I mean Douglas was the guy that you know threw down the NWA belt and and christened you know the the new ECW the Extreme Championship Wrestling and. He kind of bridged that gap to eventually get to Taz. And Taz was the guy that, you know, helped um, not put ECW on the map, but make them more notable in the mainstream. Another and note, so, uh, yes. Taz's logo of Tap Out, around this 1997, that company Tap Out started. Um, really? And the guy, the guy Mask would later die in 2009. But uh, interesting stuff here that WWE is 50% owner of that brand tap out now. And the logo really? looks strikingly similar to Taz's tap out. I didn't know they owned it. I just thought they had an endorsement deal with them. No, 50% owners. Really? Okay. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. uh, well, I mean, yeah, look at the Taz tap out logo and then look at tap outs logo. Just okay. some interesting stuff there. Yeah. But as yeah. far as the match goes, it was it was a fun match and uh, I liked you know, a lot it. of brawling and and uh, I, I definitely liked the match. Um, Sabu's think, involvement was yeah. I thought pretty cool too and well done. Uh, you kind of had a feeling that he was going to make an appearance, you just didn't know when. And right. uh, you know, I will say like going back and watching it on WWE Network, um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a Taz celebration, but they yeah. like, cut the show off and went off the air like really quickly. Like he grabbed the belt and started walking down the ramp and then they cut to the credits and that was the end of it. And I'm not sure um, if it was a satellite thing with the pay-per-view because the pay-per-view was only two hours and 40 minutes. It's not like they were running long, but maybe they just yeah. wanted to be safe. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, yeah, if they pay, it depends on how much they paid for with satellite time and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, overall, I just thought ECW guilty as charged. Watching it from from beginning to end, I thought it was a, a a pretty good show. And and what's interesting about and what's fun about doing the show with you is that I get to watch stuff either I haven't seen in a long time or I've never seen before at all. Correct. And this, this was, was a mixture show. of two. Yeah. This. Yeah. This. Yeah. Exactly. This episode's been a mixture of two, and this episode, this particular show, guilty as charged, was one that I had never watched from beginning to end. So, um, it was a lot of fun. Same here. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that one, too. I would recommend to uh, throw that on if you ever want to watch a good uh, ECW pay-per-view. Certainly, certainly. As we uh, we continue this uh, discussion, what do you want to talk about next, Raw or Nitro? Let's do Nitro first, and then we can get to Raw. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, you okay with this, that? Or? 
Yeah, no, I'm perfect. Yeah, no, that's perfect with me. I just wanted to see what you know, what you wanted to do. But yeah, I mean, uh, do you want to do you want to dive into this or should I? Uh, we can we can take turns. This is okay. um, this is the nitro. Okay, this is a nitro that's coming off of a lot of crazy stories. Some that we covered last week, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. last week was last week's on last week's show we highlighted. The Nitro from January the 3rd, 2000, where it was just basically like it was the lethal lottery tournament and yes. the NWO was all over the place. And it just felt very um, there was too much. I couldn't yeah. keep up. There was a lot going on and I, and I couldn't keep up. And it was the first time that Nitro went two hours this yeah. week, the January 10th, 2000 edition of Nitro, I felt had more um, structure. And I agree was not there wasn't as much stuff going on on the show there was a good mix for two hours yeah and it, it kind of it kind like, of focused I, I on like one story the story yeah. i'm sorry yeah I, yeah I, the, I felt like you keep up with the story it wasn't like oh what's what's going on here this is going on that's going on wait a minute what's going on over there like it wasn't like that this there was a good mixture of stuff on this episode and it, it gelled real well yeah they they did a good job of having two congruent stories going throughout the whole um episode that kind of uh mix with each other with the one yeah. with Jeff Jarrett having to defend his or well Jeff Jarrett being involved with three matches um a bunkhouse stampede a regular match and then a steel cage match as well as Chris Benoit being the referee for all three of those matches because they would be having a ladder match for the um or was that a regular match that they would have for the WCW United States title coming up. Soon. They were they were hyping up the Triple Threat Theater at the sold out pay per view uh, the following Sunday. So Benoit and Jarrett would be wrestling in three matches. I believe, um, I believe it was a dungeon match, a caged heat match, which was their version of Hell in the Cell, and um, I want to say maybe a ladder match. I, I think could it was wrong. a ladder. The ladder was the last. I think. Yeah, they had the ladder match at Starcade, but I think they were doing a rematch of it, right? Um, on, on the sold out pay per view, correct? But uh, yeah, yeah like so you mentioned this this starts out like um, with the old timers coming out. It's Terry Funk, who we just saw, um, but it's a year removed, so now he's in WCW, and you'll start to see with uh, these episodes of Nitro and Raw that we're running down here real quick. They picked up a lot of the uh, ECW talent, huh? Yeah, the, they did. I mean, it was... Uh, or the know, guys in transition, at least. Some of the older guys, or just in general? like Yeah, Sid and Terry Funk, specifically. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, And then later, Dudley Boys on WWF. Correct, um, so, correct. yeah, the, the old-timers are coming out here. It's Terry Funk with Larry Zbysko and Paul... Mr. Wonderful, Paul... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Mr. Orndorf. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. <laughs> and then, um, last but not least, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. And they're claiming them the old age outlaws. Uh, yeah. And then the NWO Silver and Black Edition comes out. Um, no, no Stevie Ray yet, though. But we would have continued storylines of Stevie Ray and Booker T on this show. Yes. Yeah. The Harlem Heat breakup at some point in the show. But what was interesting about this 
this segment, this first segment here, when they 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 brought the old age outlaws out. First of all, I thought the name was silly. Yes, but um, clearly ripping off WWF and not like not having any gripes about it either. They are not yeah. even trying to hide it. No, no, no. Oh God, no. I mean, this is classic Vince Russo right here. Um, yeah. Which, which, by the way, this would be the last of classic Vince <coughs> Russo for a certain period of time in WCW. Yep. Uh, which we'll get into at some point later on. But uh, this, this this segment was, I felt like it was good, but it, it ran a little too long. Oh, yeah. Um, it felt like Funk was forgetting his lines or he didn't know what to say. I think he and had I to think... be uh, reminded a couple times and then he jumped the gun on uh, Brett having to, sus- you know, lose the title. Um, yep. And then he had to say it again and it made no sense. And they were kind of, you could tell Kevin Nash and Brett were just like, oh, God, Terry. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the best part of this whole segment was not just the mat, not you know, in the instruction of you know Funk forcing these guys to wrestle each other, but um, uh, Scott Steiner um, basically cussing off at the mouth, and they did they they hit the dump button for about thirty seconds, which I thought was kind of funny. I like um, that. Yeah, I thought, I thought, yeah, it, was I thought it was kind of funny. But what 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 is what I like about this episode, and especially Steiner's involvement, was the fact that it was his birthday party, and he was um, partaking in the Sex Olympics with just about every single female that the NWO was putting in front of him. So oh, young, and they had him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Barbara Bush were, was there as well. Barbara, uh, Tylene Buck, April yes. Hunter. Yes. Um, a few other girls there that he eventually would they would be his freaks. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole night was all about you know the NWO. And a good way, I'm sorry, a good way to keep him busy uh, for the storyline sake because they he couldn't set... wrestle at the time, right? He right. Was hurt. Yes, he was yeah. very hurt. Uh, I think a neck or a back injury. Um, yeah. But it, it, uh, to say the least, they, okay, the old age out, old age outlaws. The commissioner Terry Funk here um, sets the NWO. Silver and Black up with some matches. Jeff Jarrett has three matches tonight, and Kevin Nash has to face Bret Hart in the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, uh, which was cool, surprising, and not a bad match. No, that, that you know, overall, I mean, and we'll discuss it a little bit further, but the story of the NWO and, like, like I said, Steiner was kept away. He was basically fucking all the broads in the locker room the whole night for his birthday, yes. while Nash and Bret were dealing with Terry Funk driving that wedge through them and really causing a lot of differences within the NWO. And then Jarrett had his own pile of shit to deal with with the three matches, which would end up becoming um, three matches against three different legends. He lost Mm -hmm. a bunkhouse brawl to uh, George the Animal Steel. Which was a nice little touch there. Yeah, George didn't do much of anything, but yeah. No, didn't. Yeah, didn't do much of anything. It was short and sweet and to the point. Uh, A a regular straight up wrestling match with Tito Santana, which was uh, ugly. Yeah, it was not pretty. Tito uh, Tito had not been in the ring in some time, I guess. So uh, yeah, yeah. and with his with his Al Matador uh, mariachi band outfit that he was wearing, (laughs) uh, I thought it was great that like Bobby Heenan. Um, at one point, when Tito's coming down to the ring, he's like, this has got to be the greatest Mexican wrestler in the history of our sport. Now, meanwhile, earlier in the evening, I think he said the same thing about Rey Mysterio after yes. Rey Mysterio took the elbow drop from Perry Saturn off the top of the balcony through the table. Yeah, there was but, a crazy uh, Falls Count Anywhere three-way tag match. Crowbar and David Flair defeated uh, defeated Billy Kidman and Conan. Uh, the What were they called? 
at the time. Filthy animals. The filthy animals. Uh, they were WCW's the answer to DX. Yes, against the revolution. Yeah. The other answer to DX, uh, D. Malenko and Perry Saturn. Yes. And so, uh, but yeah, and then Jarrett would end up uh, losing to Snooka in the steel cage. Um, and they had all the guys in there um, and, uh, taking turns. Jeff Jarrett, the only man to take uh, simultaneous cage splashes from murderers in one night. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's it's Jimmy not been the... proven by Snuka. It is it's a not clip been proven. Uh, okay, all right. Well, well, we'll just say Jimmy Superfly Snuka alleged. alleged. Yeah, uh, he climbs the corner of this cage. He does a phenomenal splash off the top, and Jeff Jarrett eats it. Great. Then Chris Benoit, the referee, goes on the other side. They point at each other. This is so weird. This is just weird for me watching this last night. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> how bizarre. Uh, and Chris Benoit does the diving headbutt and nearly eats a knee from Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Look dangerous, but uh, one, two, three, Snooka goes over. Yeah. Um, I'll say this, though. As awful as those three matches were. <laughs> it was entertaining. With the individuals that were involved in it. Not only was it entertaining, but the people were into it as well. Like, George the Animal Steel got a big pop. Snuka I, obviously got a big pop. Tito Santana got a big pop. Tito I, Santana got a bigger yep. pop on Nitro than he did when he was in the WWF. Agreed. I will say this. Jeff Jarrett, a perfect heel uh, that, like, the audience loves when he eats shit, you know? Yeah. Um, he did that great in WWF. He did it great in WCW. NWA was a little different because he was in control and he didn't want to get shit on. But uh, mm-hmm. he, he had some times, moments there. But I, I think he was a great character in this in this whole segment, in this whole show. Oh, no, he played his part really well. And mm-hmm. uh, what I also liked about his participation in the show was um, during the Nash-Bret Hart situation where both guys basically, you know, Terry, Terry Funk had gotten to the both of them, and now they're at odds with each other. Jarrett was, like, playing both sides to the middle. On one hand, he goes to Nash. He's like, let's just dump the Canadian. You take the belt, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this NWO thing. I know Steiner's got my back on this. Right. And then, minutes later, he goes to Brett's dressing room, and he's like, you know, Kevin can get a little jealous. You know, we both got belts. He doesn't. You know, you got to understand, like, it's <laughs> Kevin. And he was, like, trying – he was playing both sides to the middle. And uh, I thought that that I, – I mean, I'm curious as to where they were – what the end game was with this new version of the NWO because there was some intrigue to it, at least in my opinion, at that time. I agree. And, you know, and unfortunately, I think with the injuries that Brett had suffered, that Jared had suffered. I also Russo's, think the changing of booking. Yeah. Yeah. With Russo being out, out as the booker after this, after this Nitro. Um, there, I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm just curious as to what the end game was because I liked this version of the NWO. And people shit on this version of the NWO, but with all due respect, how many times did they reboot the fucking Four Horsemen? Correct. Okay. okay. You know Paul I mean? Roma. Like, yeah, the Paul exactly. Roma era, brother. That was awesome. Steve Mongo McMichael. Oh, I mean, yeah. come on. You know, let's let's be serious here. So, um, I thought I thought the NWO's role on this show was much better than the week prior. There wasn't too, if if the NWO was on a good amount, but it didn't feel like too much, at least mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, um, so. I, I liked it too because it, it told a story with them actually being involved with wrestling rather than just interfering and. In, 
with the backstage stuff or in involving in matches. Um, yeah. So, all right. One thing we got, we kind of slid over in this episode is Oklahoma versus Asia for the cruiserweight title. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I didn't like this at all. I was disrespectful the whole time. Even as a child, I thought it was stupid. Um, just the blatant knockoff here, Asia, uh, you know, being the muscle for franchise and the revolution. Uh, yeah. A lot like China. Yeah. And then Oklahoma, of course. Well, just the fact that, like, not only was it disrespectful to Jim Ross, you know, with this portrayal by Ed Ferrara as Oklahoma, but the – which is probably the, 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 the worst thing out of this whole situation, but the Cruiserweight Championship. God. And, and yeah. the fact that, like – it was held in such high regard, and it was like a staple of WCW from like 1996 till probably like late 98, even early 99. Agreed. At, at some point. Um, that's what you, you identified WCW with, or one of the things you identified WCW with was the Cruiserweight Championship and the matches, and then it just basically has been relegated to, you know, uh, uh, a, a silly title, you know? Like, I just thought it was – I thought it was – I didn't really like it. I didn't like it at all, you know? I, yeah. I, I, lowest I part of the show that. for me. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there, man. Definitely the lowest part of the show. Um, right. You ready to move on to the highest part of the show? Uh, for me, at what least. Do you th- what do you think the highest part of the show is? I liked the match between Brett and Kevin Nash. Uh, Brett, Hart, okay. Brett Hart pulled a great match out of Kevin Nash, um, especially being the quote-unquote lazy years for Kevin Nash. Um, as some fans would claim. Um, but I think he would put on some good main event stuff here. And this was different for WCW as far as, like, you know, not not having, like, five minutes left and then going, like, all right, now time for the main event. You know, it's like, yeah. you know it's going to end. This one went uh, pretty long, huh? It did. It, it, they gave it good time. And uh, the two of them have never had bad matches, at least in my opinion, from their WWF days. King nope. of the Ring 94, Survivor Royal Rumble 95, Survivor Series 95, the cage match in 96 at uh, yep. Rage in the Cage yep. in your house. They were all great matches. Um, this match didn't disappoint. I thought it was a fun little TV main event. It was interesting to see Bret Hart in jean shorts, sneakers, and an NWO t-shirt. Right. But, um, it, you know, I... I thought it was a, f- a fun way to end the show with Sid's involvement, the cage lowering, and Arn Anderson getting involved. Yep. Um, I, for me personally, I know I could understand and see why this is your high point of the show. Um, this is a good part of the show mm-hmm. for me, but it, my favorite part of the show, not to um, change the subject here, was the DDP buff confrontation. I liked that too. It was interesting. I thought that was probably the best paced story. On, in WCW at that time. Yeah. And they gave him five was... minutes to talk to each other about the, uh, the issue with Buff Bagwell, uh, hitting on Kimberly page. Yeah. And just overall, like the video package they showed. And I know that the, the urban legend out there is that like, this was a storyline. They tried to, the two of them tried to work it into a shoot in front of the boys, um, backstage in the locker room and, and, and the boys didn't really buy it. However, yeah. um, I thought this was, this was well done. Um, very well done, and uh, it it to me it made me look at Buff differently, um, and made me look at him as more of a serious main event player on his own. He wasn't just like a sidekick, or he wasn't just a lower card guy. Um, the stuff he did with DDP talking on the mic, and 
I just I just thought it was good stuff. I I I, I thought like the five minute thing was a good little stipulation. Mm-hmm. Excuse me to to kind of uh, you know slow down the, the 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 intense brawling that we had seen in the video packages. Right, um, and then kind of lead kinda... us to a, a climax of more brawling. You know. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was a good way to to, <laughs> to kind of curb that. So, um, and the, just the story in general, like anybody could relate to a guy. Another guy hitting on your girl, mm-hmm. you know. It was a, it was an easily relatable story, and it just worked. It was to me, it was the highlight of this nitro for me, yeah. personally. And, it, cool. and that that's where I see. I mean, and there's other, you know, like I said, the NWO stuff was fun too. Um, if I were to give, if I were to put something up there on the top of my list as far as this nitro, that would be it. And then second would be the Brett Nash match because I thought it was really good. And then um, Sid making another appearance on our show. <laughs> Yeah, Sid with another appearance at the end, powerbombing Brett and going for the cover Mm -hmm. um, and ending Nitro with us all thinking that, uh, you know, he's got an opportunity or he's going to win the world title. Although he did deliver the worst big boot to the chair in Brett's head, but I can understand why. I think it had to do with uh, Brett's concussion. But here's what I noticed about the ending to that um, was obviously Funk with his branding iron. Uh. And... If you look closely at his wrestler cowboy boots, they were red and white Adidas shell tops. Did you notice that? No, no, no. Um, that's amazing, though. Yeah. So I wait, was like, wasn't wasn't there tops to them though? Well, they were low top Adidas shell tops, but then the actual boot that goes up to like the middle of the shin or your kneecap, I think, was like almost like a sleeve that like you put on and you like connect it to your shoe. It looked fucking God awful. I was like, I was like, if, if there was one thing that was worse about this show, the worst thing you could describe was like Terry Funk wearing Adidas shell tops, making it appear. They look like wrestler cowboy boots and tank Abbott's promo. Oh yeah. Well he talked about Kev- beating up Doug Dillinger, Kevin Nash. Oh yeah. He was, he was fumbling everywhere over those words. I, I didn't even want to highlight that. But uh, Kevin Nash, with a sick burn on Terry Funk, he said, "You look like you got a target, uh, target outfit on." Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> that's from yeah, two thousand. Oh, I know. It was wild. It was wild. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Nash was ahead of his time when it came to his delivery on the microphone. But overall, this was, in my opinion, th- this was a this was a pretty good nitro. This Even was... the Harlem Heat stuff with the the Stevie Ray and Booker. Yep. Not to not to take over the conversation, but I no. thought that wasn't bad either. Like it, just no. overall, I thought this was a good, a very well paced nitro. And unfortunately, as we all know, after this, this was, um, this was Russo's last uh, 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 show writing for WCW at the time before he would eventually be brought back a few months later with Bischoff. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the show, I believe, where. Um, because of all the injuries that took place, Jarrett, I think, suffered a concussion. Brett had already had some concussion issues. They had to reshuffle the deck, and that resulted in Russo throwing the idea out there that Tank Abbott was going to win the WCW title. And that's when, <laughs> that's what, that's when the bigwigs at Turner finally said, "All right, this guy's lost it. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta change plans." Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it, it for what they had to work with. It was it was well done, um, and that's rare for me to say about a 2000 edition of Nitro. 
Yeah, certainly. This is probably one of the bright spots when it comes to our uh, our, our coverage of Nitro into this year because there's not <laughs> – as we move on with this, there's plenty of more Nitros from the year 2000 that we're probably going to have to dissect, and it's going to be very, very difficult to trudge through <laughs> yep. all those Nitros. But um, why don't we move on to the show that uh, – that uh, was that, that won the ratings war that night. Yeah, uh, the show that also uh, must have asked to borrow the other person's homework and just said, you know, don't don't make it obvious. And uh, <laughs> it's so like uh, m- it mirrors the NWO stuff here. Uh, the Rock comes out, people love him, and the Rock with this f- that fucking shirt is amazing. Yeah, I want that shirt. Me too. Like, that thing was baller. Um, Yeah, we'll have to screen grab that shirt. But, yeah, The Rock comes out here, and uh, he's, um, what is he? He calls out DX, right? Um, The Rock and the entire WWF roster basically call out Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and threaten to walk out on the company if they don't meet a list of demands. Sound familiar? Based off of, based off of, I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Based off of uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon's actions and the way that they have run the WWF in the weeks prior to this episode of Raw, Mm -hmm. um, everyone has just about had it. And uh, this this segment culminated with a number of things. Number one, uh, they reinstated McFoley. Uh, yes. Due to the due to the Rock forcing their hand, and then they also uh, gave Mick Foley a title shot at the Royal Rumble against Triple H for the WWF Championship. Yep. And then they booked a number of different matches throughout the evening with DX facing each other, and then DX having to wrestle together after they have beaten each other up to face the Rock and Sock Connection and the APA in the main event of the evening. Yeah, there was um, a sign in the audience that said Sock and Rock Connection. So this is pre the name so it weren't it wasn't catching on as quick as we thought no (laughs) certainly not (laughs) um yeah but yeah just very similar show in that fashion of the factions having to face each other yeah nwo on one side dx on the other yeah it, uh, it, it definitely uh definitely mirrored uh each other mm-hmm. on this evening January the 10th of 2000. I like that. I like how you put it. Uh, uh, stealing someone's homework or asking to borrow someone's homework. Right, right. Um, okay, so w- what was next on this? Um, we had from this Raw from St. Louis, we had the Road Dog going against Billy Gunn in a five minute match here. And of course, they were forced to face each other. So, um, it, 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 yeah, just typical shenanigans from dx yeah the guys the guys get into it here right yeah yeah they 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 make a decent little match out of it i mean it's uh it it's more or less about the story and about the fact that like you know they're they're getting their comeuppance for all they've done with triple h and stephanie over the last few weeks and you know they're forced to face each other even though they're the tag team champions and you know the, the match was what it was but it was really about the story um, moving on down, the Hardy Boys beat Kurt Angle and Steve Blackman. Interesting pairing, huh? Yeah, um, I mean, Angle at the time was still fairly, uh, he was still fairly uh, new, but they were really establishing him as a, a, 
a strong character on the show, and Blackman was Blackman. And, yeah, Angle uh, was the well-rounded, better version of Blackman. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like that's the wrestling you know That's version. a great way of looking at it. Yeah. I like that. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Because I wouldn't think that. I didn't think that. But no, I like that. I'm down with that. Um. Uh, so, I mean, just these are short matches here. We're, we're not going to highlight too much about that. Uh, it's more about the story going throughout the show. Val Venus beats Edge here in a three-minute match. This is interesting. The Brood's still together, you know, 19, uh, the beginning of 2000. Um, yeah. Were they the Brood, or was it just Edge and Christian it as was, a team? I'm sorry. It was Edge and Christian, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I saw Gangrel involved. Um, I, I remember seeing Gangrel in the opening segment when he came out with the rest of the roster to uh, that's what to, it is. Uh, to, to hold up the McMahon. Sorry, folks, was... you watch seven hours of wrestling from uh, no, no. seven different years in a in a day, you'll get a little blurry. <laughs> and you probably and, 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 and our listeners probably think I'm such a dick for calling you no, out no, for no. being wrong because no. I'm not I'm not that's what I'm not trying to do here. No, we're trying to help and, each know, other out. Remember, yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, I, I may have saw something different than he did, but then again, you know, I could also remember certain things a certain way, and I could be totally fucking wrong, too. No, so, you're right. Uh, it was just Edge and Christian. This is where they were starting to peak as a comedy uh, act. Was this also the show where they announced that Edge was going to marry Val yes, Venus' sister? Yes, and Val Venus uh, said... Um, you have my blessing or something like yep, that? Yep, and then Edge said, well, you won't be the best man. Christian will be. And yeah, and he just he congratulated Christian, and that was it. He like Val Venus was like, I don't want to feud. <laughs> you know? And the weird thing about that whole thing was was that like they never followed up with that. After. No, no. I like, think Ryan was Shamrock like, was gone soon after that. Right? Was Ryan Shamrock supposed to be part of it? I don't even remember. Uh, I believe she was involved. Oh man, it's it, it's been a long time. She was involved though. Um, okay. Story so I remember being involved with Val and Ken Shamrock. Yes. Um, maybe she maybe she was supposed to be a part of this at some point. Oh, you know what? I think you might be right because I think that I heard a, I remember a rumor um, at one point that um, I remember a rumor at one point that uh, that she was supposed to come back at during this storyline and play a part. Um, and it was going to turn out that she wasn't Shamrock's sister. Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they were and almost going to go like the incest. Yeah. yeah, they were almost going to go the incest route. Um, <laughs> like her and Val or something like that. But they never, they, they, they realized that would have been way too far. They definitely would have been borrowing Vince Russo's homework on that day. <laughs> exactly. That's for sure. Um, so, yeah. That little storyline there. And then we have Crash and Hardcore Holly defeating. Chris Jericho and China, the co-intercontinental champions. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, this was something. Uh, next. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Triple H goes against X-Pac. Fun little three minute match here. You know what? Uh, I like the X-Pac and Triple H match that they would have, I think later this year where, um, Triple H was the champion or it was nearing his, championship picture where he had dropped dx and joined the corporation oh that was a year before oh this you're thinking, was... you're thinking backlash 99 oh my god yep you're right dave i'm sorry i forgot that nope. they like reset dx there uh, i go being a dick again no but you're you're <laughs> right though reminding me uh chronologically but yeah i think the match that they had 
on pay-per-view was pretty good. Um, that was a good match. This wasn't told a good story. This wasn't too bad either. This was a this was a nice TV match, uh, but it, the size difference is just crazy. Triple H and X Pac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nothing. To, nothing to really write home about here, other than you know, like I said, nope. the story of 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 you know now DX finally getting its comeuppance after all the torture they've put the roster through. Yeah. So. Um. All right, and then moving on down the card, birthday boy, Grandmaster Sexay. Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati defeat Al Snow, Mosh, and Thrasher in a nothing six-man tag. Yeah, another one. Well, when, Not terrific. when you say Mosh and Thrasher, you've pretty much told the story right there. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and then we get to see the uh, D'Lo Brown and the Godfather with a bunch of his uh, associates. Uh, they they were not... They're hoes, goddammit. Okay, the hoes. Those hoes were... Not part of the Sex Olympics that night. No, no. They got the night off. Yes, uh, but they faced the Dudley boys who we saw earlier on our episode um, and defeated them by countout. So nothing there, but continuing on with the feud between uh, building the Dudley boys up as this uh, big tag team for... This is when they were getting rid of the, the Bubba Ray stuttering gimmick, right? And they were just kind of making them a little more serious yep. with the camouflage and yep. all that all that jazz, yeah. Yep. You want an interest, interesting fun fact? I don't know if you know this, but D'Lo Brown currently works for the Godfather at, at Godfather's uh, Gentleman's Club establishment in Las Vegas as a security guard. Oh, God. How how yeah. art imitates life. Exactly. I know. I was like, damn, D'Lo Brown, like he's, he, he must make good money if he's going to work at a strip joint. I can just see him every time he shows up to his shift, he does those his point and head nod. You know, walking out from his car to the building, like how he did. And then he tells the girls that, that, that they better recognize. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they better recognize <laughs> who he is. Even though some of them probably weren't even born when he won the European <laughs> oh, Championship. <God>. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, I think you better recognize. <laughs> that could be your grandfather. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on. This is the ultimate, say, uh, like, sealing the deal on Test's run. This is uh, the end of it. Test and, oh, yeah, we talked about this last week. Yeah, Test and Big Show beating Big Boss Man and Prince Albert in a quick little match here, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's just continuing on that that Test not getting pushed anymore. Did they also? Did Big Show also forget he lost the WWF title a week before? Yep. Like, and this was you know the, the yeah they took both these guys that they had high hopes for and were like nope. Like, in in real in in in, in you know storyline terms, like if I were Big Show, I would have I would have made sure that I got a rematch for the belt if, as we were holding up the hey the, hey Rock the, the um, bosses yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all right, give mankind the shot at the rumble, but hey, can I get my rematch tonight? Hello, right? Like, I just like, lost it last week. Talk like, to the Rock. Yeah, he's like, yeah, no, I want real. a tag match between the Boss Man and Albert. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Next. Yep. All right, main event here: DX defeating Farouk Bradshaw, the APA, Mankind, and the Rock. What'd you think of this one? That was a fun match, and uh, you know, I uh, I enjoyed the end when uh, 
when, when, when Triple H uh, pedigreed mankind through the announcer's table, and then we saw the, the early metamorphosis of Cactus Jack, which for me personally, that's my favorite incarnation of Mick Foley of all time. I loved Cactus Jack in WCW, the stuff he did with Vader, his tag team with Max Payne, mm-hmm. stuff he did with Sting, Abdullah the Butcher. Like, that to me, like... I was mankind grew on me when he came to the WWF. It was hard for me to to accept him as mankind when he when he debuted in '96, but um, it grew on me over time. Could have cared less for Dude Love, um, but I was I was a big Cactus Jack guy, and I felt like they Cactus Jack was like tailor made for the Attitude Era, and he came and went in little little bits and pieces during that time period. But mm-hmm. um, I was once he took that mask off at the end, and he did the bang bang, and the blood was streaming down his face, and I was just like, yes, they're bringing Cactus back. Oh yes, Fuck at the yeah. Rumble against Triple H yep. for the title. You know, three years prior, they had that street fight at the Garden at the first Raw that they ever had in Madison Square Garden. I was like, it's coming full circle. I was like, this is gonna be cool and yeah and eventually it happened but yeah this was this was a fun way to end raw and it definitely uh it definitely got me more excited to uh to as as we were heading to royal rumble that year yeah definitely um i will say that this was a this was a fun raw um not sure if i enjoyed the wcw one more i think i enjoyed nitro more so i i'd have to agree with you i'm, I'm kind of right there with you as well um yeah well, last little thing, I'm going to run down the Raw from 2005, and it's odd because it comes full circle right here for us in this episode. Uh, they're in Florida, and guess what? The storyline is in feud fighting. Factions. It's evolution. <laughs> they're hot off the tails of the New Year's Revolution pay-per-view, uh, where Evolution was involved with the Elimination Chamber, and Evolution comes out with a 20-minute promo here, and we're going to have Randy Orton facing Batista in the main event. And this is uh, Randy Orton's departure from Evolution kind of here. And we have, later in the night, Shelton Benjamin defeating Maven, Muhammad Hassan defeating your boy, Hurricane Helms. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. Edge defeating Rhino, and then Edge and Shawn Michaels. Having a throwdown bare knuckle uh, argument in the ring, and looks like they're going on to feud. Interesting stuff there, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Shawn Michaels guy. I was really, really digging um, Edge and his ascension to the main event, so I, I was definitely enjoying the Shawn Michaels Edge stuff. Um, the uh, the evolution stuff was okay. I was about tired of the 20 minute promos every week to start off Raw with this Triple was H, but um, exactly 20 minutes. <laughs> but the thing about the thing about this this part of the evolution storyline was that um, as big of a Randy Orton guy as I was, and I was a huge Randy Orton fan, I still am to this day. I think Orton's an unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really, really, really digging that slow pacing of the of the march to WrestleMania with Batista and Triple H because you knew that's yep. where they were headed. Yep. With all the the, the, the the interactions that they had and the miscommunication, we could start to see evolution crumbling within the foundation. I just thought it was a really, really good storyline. I was like, damn, maybe they shouldn't have turned Orton. Maybe they should have turned Batista. Or you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. maybe maybe Batista should have been the one to get kicked out 
seven or eight months prior. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Batista would have been the one facing, you know, going through evolution and eventually getting to Hunter again. I thought that would have been the, the better story, but yeah, um, it's, it's you know, they didn't go that route. And, uh, as far as this Raw goes, you know, 2005, they had some pretty good stuff. Edge and Michaels definitely, for me, was probably the highlight of this Raw. Right. Uh, Benoit and Jericho defeat Christian and Tyson Tomko, and then Benoit and Jericho would have a little infighting there and build up to a match next week that they would announce. Then we get Christy Hemme and Maria Kanellis and Alondre Pillow Fight. Nothing that we would see today on WWE TV. Whole lot of ass in that segment. Yeah, you don't see uh, you don't see pillow fights or lingerie on uh, WWE TV these days. That's for sure, um, no. or even ass for that matter. Yeah, not that much ass. Um, then the main event: Randy Orton defeats Batista. Fifteen minutes. Um, yeah, and just continuing the infighting between Evolution and Randy Orton and stuff going on there. Uh, I think the. It's it's interesting that this whole episode, 94 Raw, is telling the story of Owen and Brett kind of not getting along. Mm-hmm. Then we go to 1999, Guilty is Charged, and we're running down the Sabu, Taz, and Shane Douglas, like, inter-feuding, you know, feuding, mm-hmm. uh, you know their relationship there. And then we, yep. we continue with 2000 with the NWO, Silver and Black. Then we go to DX the, the same night. Um, and now here we are with evolution. It's just a uh, interesting day. Yeah. People can't get along on January the 10th. Apparently. No. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. I guess January the 10th is like fight with your best friend day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or your brother or yeah. your brother. Yeah. Which by the way, I'd like to uh, quick shout out to both my brothers, Zach and Justin Rosenbluth. Uh, it's their birthday today, January the 10th. I'd like to wish you both a very happy birthday. And uh, hope you uh, hope you listen to this show. Yeah. Because you should, because I'm your fucking brother. Happy birthday, um, guys, or there's going to be a problem on January 10th if you don't yeah, listen. I'm, yeah, seriously. Um, so, so, so listen to this show. Tell your friends to listen to this show because I'm on it with Kobe. There we go. <laughs> that's, my, that's my happy birthday shout out. But yeah, uh, you know, January 10th, fight with your best friend or your brother day. Interesting. You're on marking out the days. Interesting. Yep. Well, I had fun. Another uh, loaded episode. I guess we'll be back next week, right? Yes, we will. Next week, January the 17th, 2019, we are going to cover events from January the 17th in wrestling history. More episodes of Raw and Nitro from the year 2000 and a WCW pay-per-view from 1999. WCW sold out, which was headlined by Goldberg versus Scott Hall in a climb up the ladder and grab the taser gun match. Um, And the other half of that main event was Ric Flair and David Flair wrestling against Barry Windham and Kurt Henning. Holy Um, shit. Yeah. And uh, this was the, um, the, 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 the early days of the reformed NWO, the red and black and the black and white and the, you know, the, the Wolfpack and the B-team NWO mm-hmm. forming as one again. So I guess you could say the red, white, and black NWO yes. of this era. Um, yeah, and that's what we'll be covering on January 17th. I'm sure we'll have other nuggets of knowledge from January 17th to cover as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, 1994 Raw stuff, um, 2000 Nitro and Raw stuff, and uh, maybe some 2005 Raw stuff if it hits or misses. So Yeah. Yeah. Never know. Never know when it comes to us on marking out the days. Exactly. 
But uh, nonetheless, you can find us, as always, on moholradio.com, as always on retromania.blogspot.com. Search Marking Out the Days on any podcast app, and I'm sure you'll find us. You can also find Dave. Where can they find you? Kicking out you can two? find kicking out at two. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit the like button. Be a part of all the interactive retro throwback pro wrestling discussions we're having over there. If you've already hit that like button, tell a friend to do the same thing as well and be a part of all the fun. Same thing goes for Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out two K I C K N O U T and the number two. Same fun, but 140 characters or less. Uh, we got links to archive shows on both Twitter and Facebook. If you're not on social media, if you're not a social media person but you still want to listen to kicking out at two you can find us over at soundcloud.com just search kicking out at two there's links to all of our shows as or all the kicking out at two shows as well as i've just started putting up links for uh marking out the days here with kobe and retro mania the special collaboration that we're doing for all you guys so you can find links to the to uh last week's show and the week before as well yep. um the january 3rd and december 27th shows over at soundcloud.com right now yes and indeed. uh if you want to check out where uh, kobe and uh, retromania are my friend let everyone know where are we at we are on facebook at retromania with a w that's w-r-e-t-r-o mania one word we're also on twitter at retromania pod and we can get uh, we'd love to get mail. We still haven't gotten an email yet, but uh, yeah, retromaniapodcast at gmail.com. People don't like to do that that much. They comment on the Facebook posts. So uh, yeah, if you want to have a nice little community there, we got we post stuff and we share uh, Dave's page, Kicking Out at Two as well. So we're linked up and Marking Out the Days is on both streams and we have archive episodes of Wrestle- Retromania, which have uh, bonus episodes with guests that come on. And then we have our seasons, season one, Origin of Attitude, running down the storyline of WWF pre-Attitude era. And dropping soon will be episode 12 of Hulkamania is Dead. That's going to be covering post-WrestleMania 6. We just had Sting versus Savage. Find out what happens on that episode 11, Hulkamania is Dead. That's always in our stream. And marking out the days, we're here every Thursday. Right, Dave? That's right. Every single Thursday, we discuss some of the important and not-so-important moments in wrestling history on that exact date. Yep. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See you, Dave. Take care, buddy. Bye.